Hi and welcome to the Plain Religion Show, where we interview revivalists who heal the sick, raise the dead and cast out demons, among other things. I'm your host, Aaron Walker. Enjoy today's episode. Mr. Scott, welcome to Plain Religion. Okay, let me get those English vocals stretched out. Do you have an intro, like music intro or anything? Yeah, but you, I added like, edit in later. Okay, man. So I'm here with Scott and Picard Hain again. And we actually just had a conversation where Scott mentioned he doesn't really listen to other worship music or sermons or watch other DVDs or movies, even if it's Christian-like. Um, please, man, expand on that. What is your reasoning behind that? Or Yeah, you know, for me, um, it's interesting because I... When I was when I was really young in the Lord, I really I really listened to a lot of worship music that was was uh, it was it was word led in in listening to others you know kind of lead you in worship and joining in that and that was fantastic especially in congregational worship that was it was powerful but when it comes to my my personal time as as time has grown on with the Lord. I, I spend more of my time listening than I do actually speaking. And so that's that's the thing now is that, you know, I listen to a lot of instrumental. Man, I love opera. I really get into opera. I love good symphonies. Um, I, I love the new Bethel synesthesia. That's uh, uh, no words. It's just, um, you know, there's some, there's a little bit of uh, technical overtones in there too, you know, techno stuff. Yeah. But uh, I love things that just allow me to, to even listen for the spirit of God rising within me. And so I, I love making a new song to the Lord. I'll be honest with you. I love singing a new song to the Lord. And so, no, man, I don't listen to, I don't listen to a lot of worship music. I have, I have like one or two favorites uh, that would have words to them. And Brian and Katie Torvalds, one of those. I love their champion CD. Um, me and my wife, we jam out to that one as we're driving down the road, you know. Uh, and my kids love that as well. Um, and then uh, uh, I, used to, I used to listen to a lot of old Keith Green stuff. But I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know of one podcast. Not, sorry. But I don't know of one podcast I've ever listened to, ever listened to. And a sermon, like a, even a good, like church, like Bethel. No, nothing. No, DVD, I, no I, DVDs, I, no bro, finger of God, bro, nothing. I saw the first finger of God. I haven't seen another one since. I've been in many podcasts. I've been a part of many broadcasts. Uh, you know, people are encouraged by those. Uh, you know that the, how the Lord would use me in that, but. Uh, for me, I read a lot of books. Um, I read a lot of, not a lot of new authors. I read a lot of old authors, you know, uh, um, the Basilius Slink. I, I, uh, I read some of your old mystics. Uh, I, I love, you know, even Spurgeon and Finney. I love that the old, uh, the dead people, let's just say, let's just call it the dead, the get, dead category. You know, they're alive in Christ, but they're dead. And so I read a lot of those, those kinds of things. Um, because, because even, even now, um, I'll be preaching and teaching on something and someone will bring up, Hey, I just heard so-and-so preaching on that, you know, the other day on another coast or in another country. And I'm like, yeah, that's the threat of God. I see. That's the threat of God. And so I love God confirming what he's speaking to my heart, not by other men's materials or other men's revelations, but through what God is doing personally in me. Is this a personal revelation or is it something uh, that you recommend to all people or what, is there a balance to it? Like, uh, yeah. you know, learn from someone, listen to podcasts from uh, Bethel, for example. Uh, I don't want to overemphasize them, but I do li listen to a lot of Bethel sermons, mm -hmm. but also balancing it out with, you know, uh, listening to like Oprah or like a nice... A, a minor song and just listening to what God's saying. Yeah, I'm glad you said, I just figured it out. I'm glad you said opera and not Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that would be yeah. the Afrikaans, right? <laughs> Oprah. 
Oprah. So I, my mind Oprah. went, Oprah, what? <laughs> yeah. Listen, my wife is the greatest Christian I've ever met in my entire life. She's absolutely amazing. And she loves listen, listening to podcasts. She loves Bill Johnson. She loves Mike Bickle. It drives her crazy at times that she's listening to something. She's like, hey, Scott, I want you to listen to this. And I never get around to it. So, but, but she ends up telling me, you know, and, and yeah. this and that. But uh, no, I, I think for different seasons in different, different places in people's lives, I think it's important uh, for them to, to be fed, you know, especially. Um, I, have, I have elders in my life. I have people who speak into my life. Uh, I try to live my life in the Acts 6, which is the ministry of the word and prayer. And, and so, uh, you know, ultimately I'm fed the most by, by, by the Lord himself. Um, but, uh, uh, I think when I was a younger man in the Lord, I needed to, to listen to a lot of, a lot of preaching and a lot of teaching, uh, from others until that was cultivated within me, mm. you know, like the foundations for me to stand on in my relationship with God. And as time has gone on, um, I'd say maybe, maybe 10, 10 years ago, uh, I just, I fell out of love with it. I fell out of love with, with listening to those things. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, uh, and I really just fell in love with, with the meditation part of, of spending time with God, the listening part. And even in worship, the less words, the better were for, for me. Because I, I, like, I felt like I could even worship God in a greater way without even making a noise, which is interesting. But I felt that way. And so, and then he would start to rise within me. And from that point on, I just, you know, most of my worship would end up being in tongues and not even in human lang- humanly language. You know, there's t- there was times in my life when, um, when uh, if I was singing another person's songs, I wouldn't be able to la- lament. I wouldn't be able to allow the Lord to cry through me, even through lamentations. If there was times if I was singing another person's song, and God wanted me to praise him instead of reflect on my own self, you know what I mean? Uh, I wouldn't be able to do that. And so spirit-led worship, spirit-led prayer, spirit-led uh, in, in is, is just that, it's spirit-led. And so that's one of my personal uh, beliefs for myself. Um, not saying for anybody listening to this podcast, they have to live that way. Yeah. And I would never impose that on anybody. But for me, I want to hear the Lord. Would you say listening to high quality podcasts and worship music and uh, it's like fast food, but tapping in directly to God and the spirit is like a five, five star dining experience? Bro, is it- I'm a foodie. I, I'm, ta- I'm telling you, <laughs> that's what it's all about for me. You know, I, I, and I'll be honest with you, I've been to Bethel, love Bethel. I've been different places. Uh, there's, another, there's another group in North Carolina. Dr. Michael Brown is probably one of the best preachers I've ever heard in my life. Um, he is so uh, rich with knowledge. Uh, there's so many different people out there that are excellent. And when I'm, if I'm visiting their churches or if I'm part of a conference, man, I'm eating it up. Eating, I'm not blocking out what they're saying, I'm eating it up. But when I'm with the Lord, in my personal time, and as we all know, schedules, I mean, you being a businessman, schedules are hard to come by, you know, to find yeah. that space, especially having children and everything else. And so when we get in our cars and, and there's a moment of silence, when, we, when we're, you know, uh, sitting in our chair or wherever it is and we have a moment to meditate, reflect, I don't want someone else singing to me. I really don't. Wow. I, I, want, I, want, I want to hear the Lord. If I was in turmoil, I would need someone else to sing to me. That's Saul and David, right? But I don't need someone else to. I, I want to hear the Lord and I want to respond with my song from the depth of my being. It's almost like we get addicted to, I know I myself, many times I have to remind myself not to look at the phone, to take a new tweet or WhatsApp or mail. And whenever there's like, you know, you just mentioned with children and work, there's like five minutes of silence a day. Even then, like, oh, five minutes of silence, I have time to listen to a, a sermon or a, like a worship song. Yeah, and then you, you get addicted to it. I, I love information, wisdom, knowledge. Yeah, so uh, yeah. for me, it is, it is something you have to uh, be wise about. I yeah. get what you're saying, it's good. And I Pickard always, uh, always told me that when he listens to too many different sermons 
from many different pastors and uh, he, he gets confused and then he just sort of gets back to the basics, the Bible and what God tells him intimately. Yeah. So and I think that's confused. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's an actual problem in the church, you guys. I, I, you know, like I was sharing with some of you, you guys earlier, one of the things that I try to do, even with young men, which was incredible, a man, even at your house today, prophesied over me that I would have this kind of influence into young men. I'm like, did I tell you this? But uh, what I like to do is because so many people have been told through social media, not just social media, but even in churches that they're this or they're that or the other thing. And so then they have to try to live up to that expectation and they're trying to produce something that they have no root structure for. And so, you hear what I'm saying? It's like, it's like a, a cherry tree trying to produce apples. And that's one of the issues. And so, and so when, when people come to me and they spend time with me over the course of time, what I, what I really like to do is I like to, to, to lead them in a prophetic sort of way of reading the scriptures and, and letting them listen to their responses as well. Did you just say that? Did this just come from here? Helping them dig in and search out the matter like a king does in the Bible and how it says. And someone that's even been told they've been an, they're an evangelist or they're a pastor or a teacher might find out not from me that they're not that, but through the inward revelation of Christ Jesus in Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ formed in you, they will find out from Christ in them of who they really are. And so, and that would, that would see, that would, would, would actually uh, help the problem that exists right now in our Christian culture where we have people coveting each other's gifts and trying to yeah. be something that they're not. And because they've, they've grown up in an identity crisis. And performance. And performance. A lot of people want to perform. And I think there's a sort of a, and I also fell in the trap of maybe seeking more of the powers than, right. you know, love. Jesus first, you know, it's all about love. You know, yeah. you can cast out demons and raise people from the dead, but as the word says, without love, you know, it's nothing. Right. And I think a lot of people today, as with social media and YouTube and Bethel becoming sort of commercialized, um, you see the power everywhere, you know, like it's more tangible, more easily to, it becomes real, it becomes normal, and you sort of almost wanna want that more than anything else. And uh, as you preached this weekend, you know, uh, get back to, you know, God, love, Jesus, that's the most important part. That's it. Yeah. That's it, my man. Sure. That's cool. it. Cool. Um, the question I ask on this podcast, and this is the second episode. <laughs> uh, so who is Scott Lee? Uh, yeah, yeah, for those who don't know where you're from, how do you get saved, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'll be honest with you. Um, it's... Uh, I'm like a mystery to be honest. It's, it's, uh, uh, I look at my own life and I say, how God? Um, I've, I've seen so many things take place in my short 42 years. Uh, I was uh, dead twice. My wife raised me from the dead, for those of you who didn't know that. I didn't I was, know that. I was killed by killer bees in Mexico. Wow. Uh, my heart stopped twice in, in Melody Prayed Me Back to Life. Uh, I've had horses, a horse fall on top of me, knock me clean unconscious. Can I quickly stop you? Yes. So uh, you were dead. <laughs> Did you uh, go to heaven or was it uh, like, yeah, was there any like experience from that? Nothing there. Okay. I, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying there was nothing there. It's just it, the Lord didn't want me there yet. Okay. And so um, what took place was, uh, do you want me just to share the story? Is that, yeah, you'd sure. like to hear that? Yeah, and yeah. So, uh, so basically, um, my horses were, one of the horses were out in the field and one of my horses were, uh, um, closer to, we had cobblestone roadways and, uh, in a very rural area of Mexico. And, uh, and I was hearing the horse, um, we call it gritaton. They were screaming like really loud. And I was like, what's going on out there? This is crazy. I've never heard our horses act like this before. And so as I was going out my front door, um, interesting that my front door, when you go out and you shut it, it locks behind you. And uh, so I went outside and little did I know that I was stepping into a cloud of millions and millions and millions of killer bees. Uh, they instantly started to go in my nose. They went in my ears. 
they were in my mouth, they were down my shirt, they were everywhere you could think of, uh, uh, attacking my eyes. I turned around and I was banging on the door um, uh, with, with everything in me just, and I was screaming to my wife, Melody, please let me in, I'm dying out here. And she came, was coming down the stairs. She's like, calm down, calm down. I'm coming to the door. You know, you know how sometimes this guy, you know, we can be a little dramatic and especially evangelist, right? And, uh, uh, so I was, uh, uh, at the front door and she finally opened the door and I went in and I started brushing my face off and everything, getting them out. And she was now, she was freaking out and I was pulling my clothes off. Well, one of the guys who was a, a young man in training, and he was at my house that day. His name was uh, Juan, we call him Juanito. Uh, he was in the house and he grabbed my pocket, my switchblade, and the only thing you could do um, with the horses, you can't leave them tied up because they, they, they'll die, right? So he ran out and uh, he cut the, 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 the rope of, Charlie Brown was one of my horses, he cut the rope and Charlie Brown did what he was supposed to do. He took off running through the fields and, and ran away from all the bees and they couldn't keep up with him. Well, I had another horse named Coffee. And, uh, and when Juan came back, he was brushing himself off, taking his clothes off, getting them all off him. Uh, and luckily my family, all my kids were in the house. And that week we had installed on our windows screens because our house had no screens on the windows, which was a God thing. And uh, so I put my clothes on and my wife begged me not to go back out there, and, but I couldn't let my horse die, you know, and it was a pregnant horse. Uh, um, and so I, I ran, I took the knife and I took off running and uh, into the field and uh, swatting the bees all around me and, and I cut the rope. Well, she freaked out and she chased me back to the house. She jumped on top of my Suburban, my Chevy Suburban, crushed the inside in. Uh, the hood, she kicked down the door of the garage, she was ramming our front door and we couldn't let her in because she was going crazy and she would have killed, killed all of us. And so we just watched her and uh, uh, she went out in the road and she didn't know what to do. She's just turning circles, she's trying to bite at them and everything and it was a fog, it was so dense with bees. And Juan was crying in my house because that was his favorite horse, he used to ride her. And uh, so he put his clothes back on, I wasn't gonna go back out there. And he ran out there and he grabbed her, her, her rope that was still around her face. And he started running down the block trying to get her away from the bees. And, uh, um, and by this time, man, the report had re reached the neighbors in the surrounding towns. And the, the... Yeah, Thank so, you, sorry about it. Yeah, no problem. So she was standing in the road and she just looked at me. And you couldn't even, you couldn't even recognize her face anymore. Her eyes had swollen shut. Uh, her, her, her backside was... was it, everything was deformed, her cheeks, everything was deformed. And uh, um, she looked at me and she just fell over dead in the road. Uh, the bees took out um, one of my dogs. I had a, a, a yellow lab named Frida who was outside as well. And uh, she died in that moment as well. Um, and so we buried that, the adrenaline was still rushing inside of me. You know, it was a very sad, uh, sorrowful day. And uh, one of my friends, he went and got his tractor and we buried her out in the field. And, and that day I, I was feeling really sick. Um, I didn't know what was going on after I went inside and my adrenaline started uh, you know, calming down and just reflecting. I was sitting in my chair and all of a sudden I started to feel faint. And uh, I told my wife, I said, Mel, I think I'm just gonna go lay down. And as I was walking up the stairs uh, from my, my uh, front foyer to the, the, the top to my bedroom, I collapsed on the stairs and almost fell backwards. Luckily, my wife was walking up behind me. And, uh, and I woke up in my bed uh, with my clothes off me, except for my, my underwear, and, the, and, and my friends who had also been missionaries that joined us there in Mexico. They were standing around the bed and everybody was praying. And uh, I woke up and I saw my wife, and next thing you know, I was, I was gone again. And, uh, um, and I felt this thump boof, on my chest. And I, I woke up and, uh, uh, and it happened again about 10 minutes later. And, uh, uh, and my wife, she was crying and praying in the spirit when I came to. And uh, two times my heart had stopped and, that, and my wife, she's, she's a medical person as well. Uh, and so that's how we knew that that took place. Uh, but after the second time my heart stopped, I heard the voice of God and he said, stand up, Scott. Stand up right now, for the land is trying to spew you from its mouth. And, uh, and I stood up, 
and uh, as I, I was delirious and there was people around, I didn't even see them. The Spirit of God came on me and I began to, to pray in the Spirit in a new tongue and prophesy over the land and speak, speak goodness and blessings towards the land that didn't understand why we were actually there. And, uh, and then next thing I know, I woke up about three days later uh, and because we, we didn't have any hospitals near us. We were in the mountains, you know? And uh, um, wow. I knew that there was a huge prayer chain praying around the world for us. But uh, uh, yeah, about three, four days later, I woke up and that's, that's my story of the horses. <laughs> Brother. <Yeah. laughs> Pika just left the building. Yeah. Okay, wow. So, so who is Scott Lee? Scott Lee is, uh, I began, I began as a, uh, a young man who grew up in, in a Christian home. Um, a turn of events in my life uh, as a young man, um, I let anger come into my heart. Uh, I was angry for the majority of my, my youth and teenage years uh, to the point where um, I became very, very rebellious. Uh, it's important if you know who Scott Lee is now, you have to understand where I came from. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, generations of Christians, generations of Christians. We don't know any divorce. We don't know any premature sicknesses, none of these things. Uh, um, I've never had shots. My family believes in divine healing. And I ran from the call. I ran as far and as fast and as, as I possibly could. Uh, I, was, I was a black sheep, if you will. You know, everyone else in my family had never, my dad never drank. He never cussed, he never smoked, he never kissed another woman but my mom. Um, this was, this is what I grew up with, you know, and yep. uh, never slept with, an, he never, they never slept together. She was a virgin when they got married. It was just incredible testimonies. And that was my whole family. And so uh, when I gave my life to the Lord, like uh, some of you out there may be listening and, and have heard this testimony, I gave my life to the Lord in, in, in Lillay County Jail. And I was in for drugs and uh, it was August 5th, 1996 that the Lord Jesus arrested my soul. And from the very next day after he came into my life, I began to preach the gospel. I've preached on the streets. I've preached in just about every nation. Uh, I've planted many works uh, in, in, in all these things are because I abide in him. So hopefully, Scott Lee, when you know who Scott Lee is, you see Jesus, that's my hopeful prayer uh, because I, I, I've never wanted to be somebody where my name is known only if Jesus is attached to it and, and people that reflect upon the things that they've, they've heard and they've seen is the testimony of God. Scott Lee is a disciple. Scott Lee is a follower. Scott Lee is a husband. Of, of five children, a husband of one wife and a father of five children. I'm a missionary at heart. I'm a young entrepreneur. I'm 42 years old and I love Jesus. Wow, it's a good answer. <laughs> Something came up, um, so you had this perfect family, but even perfect family in terms of what I think would everybody would, a Christian would want, you know, mom and dad are pure, you know, everybody goes to church, no one drinks or swears or anything. Um, but still, you had a rebellious heart, as you mentioned, and uh, went a bit off track. Yeah. So, and this is relating to a conversation I had earlier today. Um, your opinion. Um, so there's no perfect formula for, for I have three kids. Yeah. How would I ensure um, that they just serve Jesus from the start, would never have to... Uh, backslide first or, you know, um, take another road before they come back on the right road? Or is there no formula? There's no, it's just, you try the best and leave the rest up to grace and God. Yeah, yeah like your opinion on that. That's an amazing, what you just said at the end there is absolutely true. And that's the, that's, that's the amazing truth behind this. You know, you have to sow the word of God in your kids. And my mom and dad did that. Uh, were my parents perfect? No, they weren't perfect. I would say this is that um, uh, even though my mom and dad were, were uh, followers of Jesus and, and they went to church and they, they did their Christianese, their Christian duties, um, we never did Bible studies in the home. I never saw my relationship of 
my dad with Jesus. Uh, I knew he had one, but it was silent to me. Um, <clears throat> and my mom's was the same. My mom's was a little bit more outspoken than my dad's, but you know how men are a lot of times. Yeah. They, they keep it's it It's a common crying. thing, yeah. Yeah. And in, in part of that, uh, I never saw my dad emotional. I never saw him uh, crying in the presence. Uh, barely saw him lifting his hands in worship. And so for me, being a young man, I, I couldn't identify because I was going through emotional times as well. You know, I mean, I was going through identity crisis, all those kinds of things. And uh, um, uh, I didn't know who I was. And, and, and in that culture, um, in that culture that tries to keep your relationship with Jesus silent and not live out loud, that's called a religious culture. Yeah. And so what was presented to me, even though now I look back on it and I see, okay, they had a relationship with God totally different than me. It was, there was still a lot of religion there that, that kept them from being vulnerable to the world around them. And in my situation, I was, I was desiring attention on whatever level it was. And so I, I couldn't, I wasn't an overachiever, an overachiever at the time. My brother was a big overachiever. He's an incredible, successful man. Uh, and I was an, I was, I was an overachiever for the wrong purposes. <laughs> And, and so I was, I was trying to get attention, you know, um, during that time, uh, negatively as well, uh, as well as positive reinforcement, but, uh, which religion, is normal, yeah. yeah, which is normal and relationships, uh, um, are built on constant communication. And that was something my father would look at me and he, and he would say, I don't know how to communicate with you. He never smoked. He never drank. He never cussed. He never did any of those things. And that's all the stuff I was doing. So he did not know how to even speak to me. And so we lived silent for years. And so um, he was doing everything he knew how to because he was brought up in a religious system as well that did not show the, the, the relational side of Christianity where Jesus is meant to be experienced and draw others through your experience into that experience as well with him. And so... Um, I would say this, you know, to that, to that, even the only thing that I, if I look back on it, that I wish could have been different. Uh, and I'm not saying that I would have been any different because I know God works all things together. Uh, uh, and he has his plans and, and, and he, he just has his awesome plan of redemption. But if I could look at that, I would say uh, as a Christian family, and this is something, this is something, my brother, that even I have to work hard Art at because of my training growing up to be more relational, communicative with my kids, to be intentional about the Bible, intentional about relationship. Don't push off their questions, you know, when they bring questions about Jesus to me, you know, and prioritizing that. If the TV's on, you shut the TV off and you direct your attention to your yeah. kids. Draw them into your experience. With God, I've got a 14-year-old, a 10-year-old, and, and a 12-year-old a right now that, that cast devils out of people because they've been with me in crusades and different other things that they know how to do it. My son and my kids, they, they read and pray every night because they know that's what mom and dad do, you know? And, and we talk and we discuss who Jesus is together. And that was a conversation that really never came up in our Christian home. And so that would be the challenge, you know, that, that I would put out there to any Christian parents is not just try to live proper, mm. but actually give reasons why, teach through the process of why we do what we do yeah. and why we love how we love. Because then you also learn why, because no, <laughs> we do so many things as a Christian uh, because someone else told you to do it. So now your kids come and ask, so you actually have to go research the word and, yeah. you know, and it actually feeds and helps you as well. Yeah. This is a really good thing. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So it all comes down to relationship. Yeah. That's a, about As it. with all things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a funny yeah. story about that, Aaron. Um, I heard a long time ago, uh, there was this, there was this uh, uh, young girl that was sitting in a kitchen and her mother went into the cupboard and uh, got out a pan and she baked um, 
baked a cake in this, this beautiful cake in a pan. And when it was done cooking, she brought it out to the, uh, the countertop and she cut, cut it into a square and, and like took half the cake away. And the young girl says, mother, that was a giant, beautiful cake. Why did you cut the ends off and cut, cut it into the square? And she said, because my mother did it. And so she went to the mother, uh, the grandmother, and she says, grandmother, why did you cut this cake? You know, mom cuts it. She says, oh, I cut that cake because my, my mother did it. So, so then she went to her great grandmother and she said, great grandmother, why, do, why did you cut? She says, oh, because uh, uh, my, my cake uh, never fit the pan. And so she would always, the pan that she would put it in, she, she had to cut the ends off. And so there was just this generational thing without understanding yeah. of why we do what we do. And I think that's one of the main issues yeah. is, is there's no communication on the home front, no matter how good your family is. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's uh, especially true in South Africa. Uh, as a white, white male, my generation grew up in Christian homes, but our parents also went to church because their parents went to church. And, you know, our church was also very traditional. Um, and you know, we grew up in that very traditional good homes. My dad never drank or smoked anything, but there's no life. You never know why, you know. Yeah. That's very true. Okay, uh, I think we can move on. Um, cool question. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen? Oh, my goodness. Oh, uh, one of the craziest. One of the craziest yeah. things I've ever seen. Top five. Top five. <laughs> um... I've seen blind eyes. Um, I've seen deaf people healed. Uh, I would say probably my favorite story. Um, I like stories. Yeah. My favorite thing was, uh, you might have heard this the other day about when the child was raised to life. And uh, that's my absolute favorite story because it was, it was like I got to participate in the Bible. Yeah. When Jesus, you know, he looked at the young girl and he said, Talitha kum, you little jerk girl, I say to you, get up. And then she rose and he presented her to the mother. And, and so when I, when I was a part of that, uh, that dead raising in, in Mexico, um, that changed my life forever. And it also stamped deep within me the, the, the belief that it wasn't just a, a words and belief previously, but it was the belief in the knowing in the belief that the resurrection in life lives inside of me. That changed my life. Uh, it was an interesting you know, time. Uh, and so that was, that, was, that was probably by far my top, my top greatest uh, moment. Yeah. Now I have seen some crazy things. I've seen I have seen things that would scare men and have been a part of horror movies and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, I've seen uh, I've seen great levels of death. Um, I've seen uh, uh, I was in my house one day and I received a phone call from the town next door, and there was an actual funnel cloud that picked up water. It was a water spout on the lake called Lago Cajititlan, Lake Cajititlan in Mexico. And this funnel cloud picked up the water, brought it over and dropped it on the side of the mountain right behind the town called San Miguel Cuyatlan. And it was that much water to where the water came down, washed the trees and everything, and a mud a mudslide went through the town. Um, What's a funnel cloud? Is that like a supernatural? Tornado. Oh, a tornado. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. I know a tornado. So a giant tornado picked up all this water from the lake and dropped it on the mountain right behind the town. That's crazy. It was crazy. And, but here's how God worked that out because I was the only one around that had a giant truck that was very lifted. It was really high. And so I was able to go in even for two days before the government got there and rescue people uh, from homes. And I, there was one la old lady where the water came through, blew out her, her, it wasn't even brick, it was like a dirt wall and she was laying on her mattress. She was floating down this mud river on her mattress. An old woman. Yeah, people were standing on the roofs throwing ropes to her trying to pull her out. And my truck, I was blowing right through all of it and wow. God just supernaturally 
uh, allowed sounds, us to sounds rescue. Sounds like a movie. Yeah, yeah bro. I'm telling yeah. you, I've seen some things, sure. and uh, um, and continue to do so. You know, um, just three weeks ago, I was in Brazil, and I uh, had a conversation with an African matrix. You know what a matrix is? I need the movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, an African matrix is 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 one of the highest forms of witchcraft in okay. in uh, Central Africa. Uh, and this woman, she could actually walk through walls. Uh, she was a very powerful witch in Brazil. And uh, God brought me to her house and I held hands with her and I prayed for her, face contorting and everything. And it was absolutely amazing uh, how the Lord was breaking through to this woman. She was the only remaining witch in this town where God has been touching this town through a friend of mine, Aurelio. Uh, he's seen a mighty miracle of, of just multiplication of, of, of people getting saved. But this one woman was the last remaining witch of 24 witches previously. And uh, uh, we're still believing for her salvation, but she let me come into her home and I prayed for her. And man, I believe in God's given us that, that land. She's there. I've seen some things. I've been threatened by the cartel. I've led some other members to the Lord. Uh, La Familia Michoacan, I have no problem mentioning them. Uh, they know who I am. Uh, I've preached the gospel to their family members and I've had them show up at my door to threaten me um, uh, to stay away from their family. And when they've done that, the very next day, Interpol stepped in and arrested them in my hometown of Tlajomoco de Zuniga in Mexico and uh, uh, expedited them to New York to stand trial. Their names were the Tigre and the Lobo, the Tiger and the Wolf. That's who these guys were. I've seen some things. I've been a part of some crazy, crazy things. Uh, I've traveled all across the country just for one person to lead a witch doctor to Jesus in Mexico in an, in an area called Catemaco. It's the place of the witches uh, in Mexico. I preached the gospel to him. Uh, one of the, probably one of my favorite stories that, that I can remember to date, other than miracles, okay? I was in my, my room one day and uh, in my chair, every, every preacher has a chair, right? All, <laughs> we all have chairs where we read our Bible. It's like our revelation chair, you know? And it's your special. It's my special chair. It's made it's, of wood. Yeah, it's, it's a lazy boy recliner. And sometimes <laughs> I get a little bit too, you know, much in the glory and fall asleep. That's very American of you. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I was in my chair one day and God spoke to me. He said, he said Scott, Go to Zion. Now, I was in Mexico, 3,500 miles away from Zion, Illinois. He said, go to Zion and release Carl from their disappointments. I said, what does this mean, God? So I called my wife upstairs. She was downstairs and she came up into the bedroom and I said, Melody, sit on the edge of the bed. I need to talk to you about this for a moment. And uh, I said, uh, I want you to sit there and listen. And let's see if God speaks to you something. She said, okay. About five minutes later, I said, did he say anything? She's like, nope. I said, let's try it again. So two minutes later, she looks at me and she goes, Scott, what is it? I said, is it God saying anything to you, Melody? She, she goes, yeah, I need to go down and finish making lunch for the kids. <laughs> And uh, she goes, what's going on? I said, Mel, I said, God just told me to go to Zion and release Carl from their disappointments. She said, that's fantastic. When are you supposed to go? I said, today's the 11th and I'm supposed to go on the 12th and I think I'm supposed to be back on the 14th. And she goes, all right. Well, Scott, if you're flying out tomorrow, chances are you might not find a flight. And if you do find a flight, it's gotta be under $500. Flying from Mexico to Chicago in, in a day's notice. And so, because that's all we had as missionaries, $500 in the account, right? Yeah. And uh, so anyways. Um, How long ago is this? This is. Mm, Back in the day. Was yeah, it seven years ago, eight okay. years ago. Not even that, maybe five years ago. Okay. And uh, so we got online and we went on, of course, cheaptickets.com and, and we tried to find the cheapest tickets and, uh, um, and we found one for $495 and that was with taxes included and we bought it. 
Well, no one back home knew that I was even coming and I didn't have any money. You know, I left the five dollars in Mexico for my wife, you know. Where is, so, where, sorry, where is back home now? Chicago? Uh, uh, yes, okay. back home in Zion, Illinois. Oh, Zion was your hometown? Yes, Zion was my uh, hometown. Okay. I'm mm -hmm. with you now. Yep. And uh, so I got on the plane and I flew to, Z or flew to Chicago and Zion's about a 45 minute drive north of Chicago. And uh, when I got out on the curb, I said, okay, Lord, I, I, outside the airport, what am I to do? All of a sudden, my phone rings and it's a friend of mine who was driving past Chicago on the interstate. And he said, hey, man, what are you up to? I said, I'm actually standing here on the curb in Chicago at the airport and I need a ride home. He goes, man, I'm right there. I'm coming over. I'll be there in five minutes. So he swings by and he picks me up <clears throat> in the car on the way there. And he says, what are you, what, what are you here for? I said, uh, Donnell, honestly, I'm to release Carl from their disappointments. He goes, oh, whatever that means, you know, and, uh, and I didn't either. So I went to the house. Uh, my, he drove me all the way to my parents' house. Uh, I walked in the house. My mom started crying. She was happy to see me. My dad was like, what are you doing here? You know, aren't you supposed to be in Mexico? And, and I was like, yeah, I'm supposed to release this Carl from their disappointments. And by this time, they knew that I was kind of a crazy guy anyway. And uh, so they're like, okay, whatever. Well, my dad said, you can use my vehicle, Scott. Well, I went downstairs and they have kind of an apartment in their basement. And, uh, uh, and I was praying and God spoke to me. He says, I want you to go to the place of the dome in Zion. Now in the center of Zion, there's this, this old structure of a dome that came off of a building that was there previously. It's, it's an old, old relic building. And, but it was raining outside. And I was like, Lord, it's raining. He said, go to the dome. So I went to the dome and it's raining outside. I, okay, who's, I don't know of anybody here, you know? And so I'm reading the plaque about the dome, just thinking, oh, there, maybe there's some kind of significance, some Bible code or something, you know, on this plaque. And the Holy Spirit says, as I'm looking at this dome and I'm looking at this plaque, he says, tell Frankie, I want to release him from his heroin addiction if he'll just believe. There's nothing there. It's a building. I'm staring at a building. And so I yelled as loud as I could, Frankie, God wants to release you from your heroin addiction if you just believe. Raining outside, across the street by the Zion Bank is a man walking a pit bull, a dog, and he shouts back at me. He says, is it true? Is it possible? I turn around and I look. I said, is your name Frankie? He says, yes. He comes walking across the street and he says, is it true what you said? I said, yes, man, if you just believe in Jesus, he'll release you from your heroin addiction. He said, dude, I just moved here two weeks ago. I'm trying to get out of this heroin addiction. Da, 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 da. And he hugs me and I pray for him. He's crying and, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible word of knowledge kind of stuff. So then the Lord speaks to me. He says, go to a coffee shop called It's All Good. So I went to this coffee shop called It's All Good and I walk in and there's a city commissioner sitting there and a friend of mine, Lloyd Dettine, and he's like, hey, what are you doing here? I thought you're supposed to be in Mexico. I said, yeah, I'm not gonna try to explain to him what the Lord was saying, release Carl from their disappointments. Yeah, right. And so anyways, I ended up going home and now remember, I went on the 12th and that night when I was praying, the Lord said, on the 13th. What does that mean? All right, Lord. And so that day I woke up and I just started praying. I thought it was gonna be some really dynamic day. Everything was gonna happen according to, you know, whatever plan. And I was just praying, praying, praying all day long. And finally, it was around mid-afternoon and my dad, he says to me, he says, Scott, I invited your brother over and his wife and kids to, to have dinner with you. I said, okay, dad, that sounds good, you know? And he made some really nice steaks, uh, some, some brie or brie. <laughs> and uh, uh, so we're sitting down there at the table and my brother, he's, he does not understand these things. He, he's, he's a businessman, he's very logical in his thinking. He doesn't understand being led by the spirit, none of this stuff, okay? And we're sitting there and my brother brought his whole family over to sit with me. And all of a sudden, as the food is on the table, 
The Spirit of God says to me, get up right now, Scott. Leave and go to Tim Lewis's house. Tim Lewis was a friend of mine I hadn't seen in four years. And so I look at my dad and my mom and I'm weighing out the situation because I know it's not gonna be good with my brother. And I look and I said, mom, dad, I need to go. And my brother, what? Where are you going? I brought my family here to see you. You've been gone. And he starts going on. And my mom looks at me and says, go, Scott. My dad says, Scott, go do. And so I get in the car and I drive over to Tim Lewis's house. Crazy. He pulls in the driveway, getting home from work. I pull in right behind him. He gets out. He's thinking, who's this pulling in my driveway? And I step out of my dad's truck and he goes, he goes, Scott, what are you doing here? I said, Tim, you'll never believe it. He goes, why don't we go to It's All Good coffee shop? That was the day before, right? I had nothing happening there. Well, anyways, um, so we go to It's All Good coffee shop and we're sitting there and we're talking. 10 o'clock comes around. Andy, the owner, comes out. He says, Scotty, he goes, Tim, I'm sorry. We gotta shut this thing down. You know, I gotta put up the patio chairs, lock everything up. And Tim looks at me and says, Scott, what now? You know, how are we gonna release Carl from their disappointments? And I said, uh, uh, I said, bro, I don't know. I said, but I need to run to the restroom. So I go into there and we're talking, we had, we had talked about this, you know, why I was even there. And oh, so you told him about Carl? Yeah. That's how he knew. Okay, I thought he was, also knew. Yeah, but he was thinking Carl, like the name Carl and disappointment. I mean, we didn't know what to expect. So I went into the coffee shop before they closed it up and used the bathroom. As I was coming out, there was only one car in the parking lot parked next to me. And uh, I heard a conversation as I was going to, to this uh, my dad's vehicle. And <clears throat> this couple was speaking and they said, one of them said, does God still speak to people today like he used to? Well, you know me, my ears went whoop. I just was like, did I just hear that? And she said, I wonder if there's any real prophets in the world today. And I leaned over the car before I got in and Tim wasn't in the car yet. And uh, I said, excuse me, friends. I said, were you just talking about prophets and does God still speak to people? And she says, yes. And this gentleman that was with her was like, he didn't know who I was, so he was just like, yeah, sure. Just trying to blow it off. And I said, I said, what's your names? And she goes, Carla. I said, Carla? She goes, yes, Carla. And I looked at Tim and it hit me. I said, Tim, this is Carla. And he goes, oh, nice to meet you, Carla. I said, no, this is Carla. You know, like, and he's like, oh. Carla. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came on me. And I went to back to when she was five years old and she had been wounded by family members. Six years old, eight years old. I went down the list of names and people that had hurt her and this and that. Never met her before in my words life. Words of knowledge. Words of knowledge. Okay. Leading up. And every time I spoke something out to her, she would get lower and lower, leaning against her vehicle and cry. <gasps> it was so loud. And then her boyfriend at the time was like looking at what in the world's going on here. And so she was getting released from her disappointments. And what happened next was I looked at him and I said, your name is Jovan and you just left the Church of Scientology. He goes, yes. And I, and I said, you've been waiting for an experience with God. He goes, yes, because I don't know him. I said, receive, pow, they hit the ground. She's crying, he's weeping. Listen, today they are children's pastors at a church. They are married, serving the Lord, and that is the fruit of the ministry of word of knowledge. Friend, that is probably one of the most impactful stories of my life that God sent me there. I had no money in my pocket all the way 3,500 miles away to release somebody from their disappointments. That's the power that God gives to us. When we, we he said, I give you the power to even bring forgiveness. We can bring the forgiveness of God. People can experience that. We are messengers, ambassadors, speaking forth. Forgive them and they're forgiven. That's 
powerful. And so that was something that, that I will never, ever forget. That's a crazy Because story. they live like 20 minutes away from me. <clears throat> and whenever we do like special events, they come. And I might share that story and they're like, that's us. <laughs> That's us with their hands raised in the air. It's so wonderful. That's a crazy story, man. Yeah. Um, I have so many questions now. <laughs> <laughs> Is Zion, Zion the town like Zion in the Bible? Same, no. spe- same spelling. Same spelling. Z-I-O-N. Okay, yes. well, I didn't even know there was a Zion in America. Yeah. Sure. How, how many people? City or town? <laughs> mm, it's a small town, small maybe 70,000. Okay, it's like Uppington. Yeah, yeah. It's not a very large town. Uh, but it's an interesting town because the town was actually built by, uh, by, by a vision of a man that, that is named John Alexander Dowie, who discipled John G. Lake in divine oh, wow. healing when John G. Lake was in Zion for seven years of his life before he left for, for Africa. And when he came back from Africa and he started in, and then he did Spokane, Washington and did the healing rooms there, the John G. Lake homes. And he learned that in Zion, Illinois, where Zion, Illinois had the, the Zion Faith Homes. And still they operate to this day. And so I grew up on a, on a road called Eshkol. I used to play at Shiloh Park. My dad grew up on Ezekiel. Every, every street is named after somebody or something in the Bible. That's crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, the, 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 the town, even in the 1900s, had a 10,000-seater auditorium before it burned to the ground. It was a Christian city. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. It's amazing. Do you, uh, you told the story this morning in a sermon at Riverflow. Um, in Mexico, you were down on the ground crying, receiving God and so on. And you had heard this voice three times, get up, Scott, brush yourself off and so on. And after the third time, you heard a, a softer voice. It just said, just sit still. Yeah. And listen. So the first three times, was it not God? It was not God. Okay. That's, I just want to yeah. sort of clarify. Yeah. Okay. So it was God. not God because, because the, the, the tone, not just the tone, but the, the message was get up and they'll still receive from you. Mm-hmm. Um, the enemy that was speaking to me knew that there was a, an outpouring coming to my life. He could sense the rain that was about to fall on me. And so he wanted me to get up and clean myself up and make myself presentable as yeah. if that would be the only way people would receive from me. Yeah. So he wanted to engage a pride element that is inside of every human being that we should look proper, we should act proper, we shouldn't be rolling around on the floor laughing or, or, or being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what he was trying to do. And praise the Lord, he put inside of yeah. me enough strength to say no to that yeah. and stay with the still small voice that said, stay with me. And normally when God speaks, it's always a still small voice, like yeah. a drop. Yeah. Um, an audible, clear, but yeah. It's yeah. A, different tone yeah. so whenever you hear the sort of a loud type as you heard in that situation you can assume it's not God that's yeah. speaking it's absolutely something else okay it's amazing one last question just to sort of wind down after yeah, that awesome yeah. story and it's one of my favorite um, what's your morning ritual like normal you know when you're not traveling all the, over the world like what's like you get up at five drink coffee do Bible what is your normal morning ritual Excellent question. Um, it always varies. Okay. It always varies from what happens the day before, uh, the night before, because my schedule is pretty rigorous. Um, I value walking with Jesus all the time, praying in the Spirit all the time. I'm always praying in the Spirit under my breath. But when I wake up in the morning, I brush my teeth just like every other human being. I go out and I get my cup of coffee. Sometimes I brush my teeth after the coffee, right? Yeah. And, uh, uh, and I sit on my back porch uh, and me and my wife, we'll sit there and we'll read together. We'll pray together. Um, we discuss a lot together. Uh, sometimes I literally just put on music. I always get up and drink my coffee in the morning with Jesus. Uh, that sometimes looks like an hour, sometimes a half an hour. Sometimes it looks like eight hours. I've gone through stints in my life where I've literally put in hundreds of hours a week of just spending time with Jesus. Uh, I remember one time uh, in my life, and I'll get back to the other, but one time in my life for six months, I spent eight hours a day for six months on my face with Jesus. It was, yeah, in, in, I asked the Lord to give me the opportunity and he blew my knee out. 
How do you do that? I'll get so bored. Oh, no, <laughs> friend. Listen, it was in that moment, and I can feel the Lord just now. I want to thank you for that, God. I remember, I remember when I was praying, and I said, I was in a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week ministry. And I said, Lord, I said, I'm, being, I'm getting wore out. I'm so tired. I said, ministry is, is it's, it's what's required of me because I, I've committed to this, Lord, but I'm just tired. I said, I need just some time with you. And I remember he put something in my heart. He said, there's a prize waiting for you at the end. And I didn't know what that meant. But the next day, all of a sudden, it was the subtlest thing. I was on the floor and I went to stand up and as if somebody just poked my kneecap from the left and my knee blew out, just gone. I couldn't walk, I was in utter pain. Uh, I didn't know what to do. Uh, we, didn't have no, we had no insurance. My wife and I, we, we immediately began to pray for three hours. We asked God, Lord, we have no money. I was making $600 a month living in a trailer and just crying. My trailer was so broken down that the only thing that held it together, I believe this, was the carpet because the floor had rotted out from termites and the carpet sagged in the middle because uh, the floor wasn't there. And so even when I would lay and, and wait on God, I would lay in the divot in the middle of my floor in the carpet, or if I tried to lay off the side, I'd roll to the center. It was, it was crazy. And uh, I tried, uh, I was weeping and I was like, God, this can't be happening. And then it realized this is what I prayed for. So I said, Lord, I'm gonna utilize this time in tears of pain. I'm gonna utilize this time, Lord God, to spend time with you. Right then and there, the mailman pulled up outside. We heard him pull up and he hit our mailbox and we, we heard the shut. And Melody, we took a break from praying those three hours and she walked out to the mailbox and she came back in and we opened it up and it was a check for $10,000 yeah, for my surgery. And so I fell through, I, I didn't fall through, I followed through with my commitment to the Lord that I was gonna spend the next months. And I literally for six months, six whole months spent eight hours a day, a full work day on my face. And I would get up and that's where he actually taught me how to play the guitar. I began to sing, I began to make music. I wrote music, I wrote songs. I, uh, I was, that later on helped me become a worship leader for three years uh, in those times. Um, I read through the Bible, uh, downloads of Revelation. I mean, just on and on and on. But that's not every day. It's, 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 not, it's, it's not my everyday life. My everyday life with Jesus is just walking with him and talking with him and seizing every opportunity to be with him. I wake up in the mornings and I have to take my kids to school because my wife is with them all day long. And so I wake up at six, I wake the kids up in the morning. I take my little kids to school. <clears throat> then my son, I take him to another school that's 20 miles away from that. I get back, then I've gotta go to the office. But I don't go to the office yet because I spend that time with the Lord. Then when I go to the office, before anything happens, for any business, anything, I'll take an hour, 35 minutes, 40 minutes, and just, just Jesus, I commit this day to you. Lord, I'm here, I worship you. And worship music is playing on all the time. Now this is how I stay. Because every hour and 15 minutes in my office is a 20 minute time break scheduled in for Jesus. So as the day goes on, every hour and 15 minutes, I take 20 minutes in between to stop, worship, refocus, reconnect, and then I kick off with another hour 15. And it's, and, and it's also helped me to manage my days wisely, manage my time, manage the businesses, manage, manage uh, my, my business at the church, manage counseling affairs, manage all these kinds of things. Every hour and 15, there's a 20 minute break of just resting and waiting on God. So over the course of the day, over the course of a work day, that's a lot of hours. Yeah, it is. But that's how I do it. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to lock myself in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, Scott, thank you. That was an hour and I have a million questions, but uh, I think that's enough for now. It's, I really appreciate it and it's an honor to have you on this podcast, man, and here in Uppington. Wow. Cheers, man. Aaron, this has been fantastic. Uppington is a is a beautiful place. The people are wonderful. They're quite lacquer. Yeah. And uh, uh, being at your home today really blessed me in, in the churches as well and the Upfire, uh, Uppington Refire event. It was phenomenal with Evangelist Pickard Hen. I couldn't ask for a better host. Uh, and I'm just grateful that the people of Uppington have received what the Spirit of the Lord, I believe, is saying to this region. And uh, uh, you're going to see an outpouring of the Lord come very, very, very soon upon your land. In Jesus' mighty name. Awesome. I believe that too. Thank yeah. you. Actually, Uppington is, they've, there's this, I was going to say a rumor going around the country through church leaders and ministers. There's like seven cities that will have a huge outpouring. And Uppington is actually one of them. <laughs> I believe so, it. Yeah. I believe, it, I believe something coming. even kicked off this weekend. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you, man. Cheers. Yeah, blessings. Thank you for listening, friend. If you want to check out my other projects, you can go to my website, erinwalker.co. Erin spelled E-R-I-N, Echo Romeo, India, November. Walker spelled the normal way, dot co. In other words, dot C-O. Thank you and God bless.